0: It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life.
1: Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters, Stephen Barnes
0: and Reeve do
1: talk about writing during stressful times,
0: breaking into Hollywood and balancing life.
1: Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects.
0: Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing.
1: Hey, here we are. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome,
0: welcome, yes! welcome.
1: You see how excited they are that you're back? How much everybody missed you last week? Oh, movie? I missed them too. I really did. Yeah, but you had a good reason. You had just come back from NorWestCon, con mm-hmm. And I think we just let you sleep in was what happened there. Yeah, I
0: think that's what it is. It takes yeah. about one day to recover for every day that I was on the road before I start really feeling myself again. And it's, it's really, really critical for people who are no longer in their twenties to realize that how your, your health is not just based on how hard you can push yourself in a workout, but how thoroughly you can recover and understanding the feeling of having recovered completely is critical. I see people all the time doing this. Well, I'm just walking around sore. Well, that's, Okay, if you have a specific goal, but if your goal is a lifestyle that is energetic, where you can take that energy and focus on other things, there's a limit to how much pain you want to feel just walking around in your life. So, I'm in planning to go to Manila in February of 24. There are questions about what level of fitness I want in terms of of strength, endurance, speed. You know, some of the things are, are... fitness, some of those are attributes, some of them are skills, some of them are psychological, emotional, some of them are physical. But understanding that and then being sure that those things that I want will also help me with my career. In other words, will yes. more strength and more this and more that and more energy help me in my career? You bet it will. And also, will it help me as, you know, in my family? Well, you know, partially it's, you know, it's it's our connection to Nanariv, our animal connection. And it partially, it's being a role model for my son and daughter, you know, and then being able to teach people, having the energy to be able to teach. So that's spreading outwards to the community. So when every goal works in multiple arenas, it's much easier to sustain your discipline.
1: Yay. Well, it's not so sexy when you say my name, by the way. I just, you know basically i stopped listening after that no i didn't think oh. <laughs> that's just, it's just so sexy when you say my name but we ought to you know such a, a sexy episode. name oh thank you
0: i mean that's quite a name i mean Tenata. he did it again isn't, isn't that a really mm. beautiful, oh, yeah. elegant beautiful exotic
1: mysterious name yeah well let's try to you know, <laughs> to keep it professional let's talk about what's going on yeah so much going on That theme too much. I, I say that every time, but I so love that theme. I hope y'all like it because I just love it. So we actually have a whole heck of a lot going on. But let's start with you because you had a really important meeting yesterday, an important following.
0: yeah. We, we've had a bunch of important meetings over the last couple of weeks. Ever since we got finished with the writers' room, we've been hit with one thing after another. Good news on a television project that we can't quite talk about too much. But at all. two different positive things happened there. Somebody really important coming on board and some decisions made about the process that we're going to be going through. Once again, we'll talk about that to you more once contracts are signed. Um, but I was also offered a Star Wars novel.
1: Yeah. Uh, basically, hey. You know,
0: look it I, I looked at it and, you know, the money was fine. You know, this Lucasfilm, they can afford me. But more importantly, <laughs> the project itself felt Good. I, I I could see how I could get excited by it. You know, so it's like looking at everything that I have on the table and, and the way I want this year to go. It felt like okay, this could fit and it doesn't have to be turned in until January of twenty-four. So it, it feels it feels good, it doesn't feel stressful, it feels like it could be fun. It's, it's my day job. You know, when yes. Star Wars is your day job, you're doing something right. Super
1: fun,
0: um, super fun, and then we had another thing. We can't talk about this project either. And the third thing is a a writing situation, non traditional. I'll say that that is quite remunerative. And yeah. we had a conference today, it's an international concern. I, I, I will say that, and it's going to be a doorway to learning some skills that we've wanted to learn anyway. In terms, in, in able to you know, we, we're looking at, at the ways we can monetize. Our skills, and also at the way we can do stuff that is fun, and where, and also things that help change the world. You know, it's like, can we bring other people along with us? Can we teach something? Can we make money? Can we have fun? Where those circles overlap, that's where we're going to focus. So,
1: so great, it's, it's, it, it's so great to get paid to learn, and uh, really getting paid to learn is almost my favorite thing to do professionally. <laughs> so, uh, yes, this is well. Something in each that we of these cases, learn. these are things that
0: came to us or were the result of previous work that we have done. Right. There are elements of things that are connected with projects, and I'm trying to be artfully vague here, projects that were created in the past, or people who we helped or met in the past. And in one case, specifically, someone who felt like we had been we had contributed to their life stochastically, just you know, always being positive, talking about writing, talking about careers, talking. About, and they felt like we had been great contributors to their lives, and so they wanted to contribute back. And they obviously considered considered our levels of skill sufficient, but they also obviously felt like they would enjoy playing with us. So when people get the feeling that you can do the job and that you will be fun to play with. That's when, and if you're helping people, you're helping them rise and they can often get to positions where they then have offers that they can make to you because people yes. want want to create a cadre. They want to create a, a, a network of associations. They help you, you help us. Brian Fuller did that for us. Yes, he did. And I mean, one of the things that I really want in life is to succeed to a level where we can turn around and help him.
1: Wouldn't that be amazing? It I really love was. that. I love that. And you're absolutely right. You know, the the ability to take an opportunity and hand it to someone else, especially if they've done something for you, but even if they haven't, even if they just really need an opportunity, that's right. is so intoxicating.
0: It is stunning. And I'm, you know, yes. and I may have been able to pass this uh, this situation on to another deserving writer who like a like a virus (laughs) like a virus that's right and then you know hook somebody up by oh i've got his i got his email address i can help you get in touch with him you should think about this person to me this is what happens you're building in the hero's journey you need allies and powers to get to the next level you can't get to the next level without new resources if you already had the resources you'd already be there but you can get the resources and one of those resources is other human beings. And you don't, it's not using people, it is making, it's like, what was what was it that your friend's mother said? You can fall in love with anyone, why not a Jew? You can be friends with anyone, why not someone who's moving in your direction and right. going to the same destination, shares your values. Maybe they're further ahead than you, in which case you can offer them honest, sincere friendship. You can be honest with them. You can be supportive. You can be a cheerleader. You don't need to be at their level. These people have insecurities, too. They're looking for people who actually see them, too, and care about them, too. And it's 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 caring for the human aspect at the same time you're working on yourself, the same time you're working on your skills, the same time you're playing strategy, you're, you're always trying to understand the game board better. And maybe with some of these people, people who are ahead of you. You do not ask them for resources. You ask them for their perspective on the map. What is actually out there? What does it actually take to get it to your level? What are the strategies that you use to get there? Almost any of these people will tell you that. Some of these people take you to dinner to tell you about how they got where they are. If you don't ask for money and you don't ask for them to directly help you in something, what you find is that they look at you and they think this person is like me. Reminds me of myself. That's right. Reminds me of myself. And then they will help you. They will actually give you opportunities. If you don't ask for anything other than their wisdom and you give them no reason to doubt you, you're honest with them and you're giving them love and support and you do it stochastically. You never know where it's going to come back
1: no you absolutely do not so it's it's just amazing you know time passes you might as well use it <laughs> and even if you feel like you don't know anyone who who can help you move forward the, the good news is that everybody knows somebody i mean i i met someone last night that i i went to college with you know i wasn't trying to make connections for show business back in college but people grow into positions and can offer you opportunities. You just never know. So and the good to, be practices... frankly,
0: to be quite mm-hmm. frank, Reef, anybody listening to this podcast can get in touch with us. You can get on our True. mailing lists, you know, it's StephenBarnsList.com. What's your list, sweetheart? TananarivList.com. TananarivList.com. And you can come to our weekly Zoom meetings where you can talk and you can network and you can work your way into that circle because we have people, other people who are extremely successful, who come on the podcast, who sometimes come to some of our Zoom meetings that we do. We've done salons, you know. We do, we do, we do different things. So we can actually be a little
1: bit a part of your of your brainstorming.
0: We that can allies to you.
1: That's true. Once you join the list, com and stephenbarneslist.com, you will get the weekly links for the Zoom right. that are and live you, and in if person. If you join and-
0: one of you know, our flagship programs, the firedancetaichi.com, which is the daily ritual, which if you're willing to spend five minutes a day and willing to write one sentence a day, we can put you on the path to being a published writer. You know, I can I can get you. We can't necessarily make you a full-time writer. Certainly, you know, award-winning stuff like this, that's up to you. And that, that has to do with other things. But published? I frankly, I think almost anybody can get published if they focus, right?
1: Speaking of being published. <laughs> yes. I have oh, some you've got a secret. News. Yes. I've got some big news. My first solo book, and my first short story collection in, I think, seven or eight years. The Wishing Pool and Other Stories was just published by Akashic Books. It is it's available everywhere. Thank you. It, it's audio. It's Kindle. It's all the, all the things. I've started doing in-person book events, which is something that I have been a little nervous about doing post-COVID, but people are starting to come out of their turtle shells a little bit, so... My first book signing was at Romans in Pasadena, and that was pretty well attended. I, that which I'm right. very happy about. And I had another one at Book Soup in West Hollywood yesterday, which wasn't as well attended, but it was so rich. The people who came, it was like a college friend I haven't seen, you know, since I graduated. <laughs> in graduate. Thirty well, years, uh... I, not quite that long, honey. But I didn't know. I didn't know that he was even living locally. A, a showrunner that we've worked with in the past on the Horn Noir anthology series, and that I would love to work with. Again, and someone who drove all the way from Sacramento to come to the signing. So that, even yeah, though I love a, you, honey, it was a small group, but it was you know how you, when you're an author, you never know how many people are going to come to the signing. I have been at the height of the, my career when I was getting toured for the hardcover and the paperback, and you know, in the nineties, you could go from 100 people. At one store, not often, but that did happen sometimes. I had 100 people show up at Marcus Books in Oakland and, you know, a couple other venues. And then the next week, crickets. Like, absolutely nobody is there. And that is just the nature. Oh, they're the crickets. (laughs) That is just the nature of this. And especially post-COVID, my editor, Johnny Temple, was telling me it's very unpredictable but i'm so so grateful for a lot of support i mean reviewers kirkus reviews which is usually pretty tough actually has said such great things about the book it got reviewed in the washington post it's it's been so well received and i just want to talk a little bit about the wishing pool and other stories but but also about a subject we have talked about in the past and which we will come back to again, which is why I write short stories? And I think this collection, first of all, is a good indication of why it's not always easy to publish a short story collection. And, you know, I don't mind saying that when I published my last collection at a much smaller publisher, my advance was $1,000, you know, which isn't a huge advance for a book, especially compared to when I started writing and for, say, a novel advance. But it was better than (laughs) self-publishing as far as I was concerned, and it was It was well-received, but I didn't get this kind of response, I suspect, because Akashic has a bit more of a budget for marketing, and they've been really good about setting up signings, and, you know, they were willing to send me places I was, like, not even willing to go necessarily, because as I've gotten older and more settled in life, Because of that very phenomenon I discussed where you never know how many people are going to show up for a signing, sometimes the idea of a flight and a hotel to go to a city for a signing and you don't even know how many people will come is not as interesting as once it was, let's just say. But let me talk about it. Like my previous collection, which was called Go Summer, The Wishing Pool and Other Stories is basically a compilation of the short stories that I wrote. Because editors would ask me to submit to anthologies, you know, like Steve, I'm not big on just writing short stories, spec, you know, speculatively, and then seeing if anyone is interested, right? Typically, what happens is I get an email from an editor, it's like, oh, I'm doing an anthology on this theme, or I'm doing an anthology on that theme, or write whatever you want, but would you submit a story? And when I'm able. And I'm not always able. I say no way more often than I say yes. But when I'm able, I do like to use those deadlines as personal prompts to make sure that I'm always writing. So a lot of these stories I wrote while I was working on my novel, The Reformatory, which took me forever and is coming out in October But a lot of them are really more recent. There are a couple new ones in here. Rumpus Room, which I really wanted to name the collection after, is is a new novelette. It's a longer story. And I think it's one of the scariest things I've written. And a story you helped me with, honey, called The Biographer, which was wish fulfillment from my younger writer self. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit because there are a couple stories that are wish fulfillment for me. This was something that I started as a very young learning writer, maybe right out of college. I had an idea, oh, I want to write a story called The Biographer. Like we've told you, premise comes first, right? Premise about a society in which people of note are automatically assigned biographers who come and shadow you. And that was as much as I had. And that was as much as I've had for 20 plus years. I just, I never had, I didn't have a character. I didn't have a real story. Like what? And and finally, when I was working on this and kind of under the gun, <laughs> the deadline, I said, wait, let me see if I can actually help my younger self get that story over the line. And I think part of the difference is that as a 20 something year old writer, I wasn't reflecting enough on what it means to have lived a longer and fuller life and to have someone come and want to write about you. I mean, I was starting my life in many ways, right? So I think it was conceptually a, a little bit of a bridge too far for me. And now as someone with a few years under my belt and who has had losses of of peers, you know, I've lost LA Banks, the the horror writer who did the Vampire Hunter series. I've lost Elan Harris, we've lost Eric Jerome Dickey, you know. I mean, it, it's surreal to me to, to name those writers as people who were gone. Octavia Butler, obviously. It's surreal that they're all gone. So now I've had a little bit more time to reflect on what it means to have lived a life in the arts and how people come to regard you. And I have to admit that the character in the biographer is sort of like an Octavia figure. And I'm not going to say any more about it, but you just look at the way the world has responded to Octavia. They have not yet built statues for her, (laughs) but it almost feels like it's coming. Like it's just a matter of time before a city I'm going to guess Pasadena. Pasadena is going to be number one. They've already named a school after her, a middle school. So I think Pasadena will be the first place to erect literally a statue Jeez. in honor of it. it but name it's not far best, after is it After
0: my friend, that's that's mind blowing.
1: It is. It is, and it, and it speaks to not just the accomplishments. I mean, honestly, it speaks really less about the accomplishments of the artist and more about the impact the artist has had on people, right? We project whatever they gave us onto them, whatever they opened up in us, whatever they seem to prophecy. So we want to kind of make them into gods and goddesses or whatever. And, And so I finally had enough pieces. The biographer is the last story in the collection. And Steve we talked about this a little bit last night because you were there at the the signing of book Booksoup and the story I read from was called Last Stop on Route 9. And that was based on an incident that we shared together. Do you want to tell people kind of like what happened in real life and then I can tell people what happened in sure. the story? Sure.
0: I mean what happened in real life is that we were traveling to the internment, I believe to from the from the funeral of your mother's funeral to the, the cemetery and we were confused about our path and we're driving in rural rural path in northern florida
1: yeah it's uh, very rural
0: and we decided i decided to stop for instruction for to see if we could get some directions and we turned off into what looked like a little compound several houses living together on the same built together on the same lot perhaps a multi-family dwelling and we pulled you we're like
1: oh, yay people
0: yeah yay, yeah, people and as we pulled in we saw this flagpole with this huge confederate flag on it and oh we just God. kind of looked at each other and said oh hell no
1: <laughs> we backed the hell out of there as soon as we could go i mean we've that. seen that movie <laughs> I I don't want to star in that movie. (laughs) We have seen that movie more than once. We were like, out of there. It was (laughs) like, no, thank you. So, you know, I think this is sort of a good time to deconstruct my process in creating that. Yeah, please. I think people would love to hear that. Yeah, because I think it might be helpful. So first, it was a reclamation, like the biographer, Last stop on Route 9 was a title for a story. Now, this story I did finish. And in fact, I think I published it when I was in college. It might have been like one of my first publications, but just it was in a college publication. It wasn't a professional publication. And during that time, I was immersed in what was at that time the canon and an MFA style program. It was not an MFA program. But I was at Northwestern University. I had wonderful instructors who were very supportive. So nothing I'm about to say is meant to criticize them. But during that period, a lot of what I was reading in my English classes, a lot of what we were assigned in the creative writing classes was what's known as sort of canon and and, you know the usual suspects. So it would be Raymond Carver. It would, you know, I was reading Ian McEwen. In fact, my first sale as a young writer it was a story imitating Ian McEwen I mean it didn't seem sound anything like Ian McEwen but but I I I just he's, he was writing very weird fiction and I thought oh let me write something weird but so we were writing and, and that story had a white male protagonist <laughs> just like last stop on Route nine had a white male protagonist and it was a very simple what I call epiphany story because I didn't even first of all I had erased myself as a black woman. From my fiction, just not intentionally, but just immersed in canon. What was coming out on the other side is a story is something about a white man having a crisis and an epiphany, and he makes a decision. So there was no genre, there was no horror, there was all of that was leached out. It was, I was trying to figure out how do I become a writer? What does a story look like? So the original last step on Route Nine, which I have to find one day, was just about a railroad. So that part. Tracks, where a guy pulls into a gas station, and over the course of the story, we realize he's very sick, <laughs> and that's it. That was the whole story. He's sick. Last well, stop on Route Nine. Get it? So that's not get it? his epiphany. Yeah.
0: That was the audience's epiphany.
1: Yeah, the uh, the audience has an epiphany. So it was kind of like a like. I mean, it was almost flash fiction, as as I recall. But so I, I I got an opportunity to write a story for an editor, didn't have an idea, probably waited a little too long to start, like I always do, because I, I do tend to procrastinate sometimes. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take Last well, Step on Route 9, and I'm going to reclaim that as like Black horror, right? Racism as the monster. Not every story in The Wishing Pool is that, in fact, as I think about it. It might be the only one that is strictly racism as the monster. Other ones might make reference to racism. Some don't make any reference to racism at all, right? It's just a, a story that happens to have a Black protagonist. So anyway, so I took the incident with Steve. And as some a uh, screenwriter, I once heard, I can't remember her name. I wish I could because I use this term all the time. She said, turn it up to 11. In screenwriting specifically, if you have a premise, turn it up to 11. So a good example would be if if a story is about a writer who won a prize, if you want to write a script about it, make it the Nobel Prize for Literature, <laughs> like make it a big prize. So I said, OK, I'm going to take that incident with Steve. I'm going to make it spooky. I'm going to add a fog bank. I'm going to start with the idea of the fear that a lot of black people have about asking for directions. This is something that has been in the news lately very unfortunately starting most recently with the case of this poor 16-year-old in Kansas City named Ralph Yarol who was shot twice for knocking on a door quickly followed by a story about a white woman like a 20-year-old white woman who was shot in a car full of people who just pulled up in the wrong driveway it sounded like they didn't even get a chance to get out of the car and then i just heard about a third story about a little black girl whose ball rolled into somebody's yard and the guy shot at her and her father. I mean, it's like, it seems like a whole spate of these incidents probably because we're paying more attention to them, but they've probably always been happening. A huge problem with our gun culture. There are too many fearful, irate, hateful, spiteful, and sometimes, or even often racist people who have guns and feel like it's their right to shoot anybody Who triggers them in any way? Like, oh, I'm feeling annoyed because you're set foot on my property. What? So, anyway, I took that real life pour, which is where I began with coming up with an idea. What's the real scary thing that I'm afraid of? I thought of that incident with Steve. I thought about how to this day, if I'm going walking in my neighborhood, I wear like a pink pastel y jacket. I would never go out in a hoodie as it's getting dark, to look like a a Black man. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm just conscious of how people perceive me, especially strangers. So that's a fear that a lot of Black people have. It was one of my biggest tweets in months when I just mentioned that the opening of Jordan Peele's Get Out is Lakeith Stanfield's character, Lost in a White Neighborhood. And that, to a lot of people, black viewers, was the scariest moment in the movie already. Like I'm in, whereas a white viewer might not even think about it.
0: Right,
1: right, mm-hmm. might not even think about it. So anyway, start with what's real, turn it up to eleven. So I, I created a character, couple characters who are lost on a road, and they they stop at a house, and I won't say what happens next, but it's it's almost like a fever dream of racism. It's like ancestral racism. If it took form and and attack you, right. And And so I'll leave it at that. But that was my way of reclaiming that story where I had lost myself both as a black woman in my fiction and as a horror writer in my fiction. and leaned in, like, what does it feel like to be that isolated? What is the worst thing that would happen in a fantasy realm if racism is a monster? What would that look like and feel like? So that's Last Stop on Route 9. Cool. cool. I don't, I'm not sure I've
0: read that story.
1: Have I? You might not. You have read several, and you helped me. Some, you helped okay. me come up with the ending to well, need I'm going hey, to need
0: to... Uh, I'm gonna need to make sure that I've read all of those, you know, try to want to be as current as possible. And you're definitely inspiring me to put together, you know, a collect my own collection. I just get nervous about who to submit it to. We have to have that conversation.
1: So here's the thing I would suggest, because this is what I did. And I would suggest this to anybody who's feeling nervous about it. Start out with just writing the proposal, you know, get yourself excited about your proposed collection, which would be, I'd say, like an introductory paragraph about kind of what you say with your fiction, your impact, you happen to be a pioneer, you know, you can say that. And then little thumbnails about what every story you'd like to be in the collection is about. And you will find, darling, that as you do that, because this happened to me, this is exactly what I did. I, I finally realized, oh, I have enough short stories, maybe I could try to sell a second collection. And well, I was nervous
0: How too. did you decide where to send it? Well,
1: in this this particular case, I had submitted a couple of short stories to other anthologies by this publisher. So I had been through a couple of uh, editing processes and come to the attention of the publisher, I think, that way. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I did not think of this publisher when I published my first short story collection. I think, I don't know why. why, How did you find your
0: first Collection, your
1: first. That, collection. that was through a wonderful editor named Paula Garan, who was one of the first people who championed me when I entered the field in the 90s. I, she wrote something, she said, remember the name, learn how to spell it. I, you know, I kid, she was like one of my first white horror fan cheerleaders because a lot of my marketing was to black bookstores and black readers. I didn't, I was not as well known on the horror side. So she at the time worked for prime Books. She does not anymore. And she, she, and I don't know if I approached, I think I approached her and she was very excited. But they were a small press, and it was a small advance, and and I did start there, so maybe there's also something to that part of the process. Yeah, you know, just
0: it's going to be a matter of finding the right place or the right introduction. But that you know that also that also sounds good. And I do think but that you, I should do that.
1: You have written so many cool short stories, and in my first collection, I included a collaboration with you. So you you what should was use it? danger fug- word, danger word. So you should I'd use fugue state. Use that too. You should use fugue state. I did not use fugue state. Mm-hmm. And you have maybe a couple of other collaborations, but you also have some really, really great standalone fiction going back. The first short story I ever read by you was in Dark Matter, Cherie Renee Thomas's anthology, right. "The Woman in the Wall." That's a great short story. You should republish that now. Hmm. I wonder. You know? Yeah, maybe let me go through the editors who I have
0: worked with and see if they have a suggestion about a publishing company that might, uh, might do that. I, I, I will. I will. I will do that. I think. It, I think it's that time.
1: Okay. I understand the concept of a friendly room. You know, it 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 doesn't. It is not fun to be rejected, and every writer at every level gets rejected. I mean, in Hollywood, we're rejected constantly. That's like, <laughs> that's like how you know you're still breathing in Hollywood if someone just passed on something. Well, <laughs> right. at least you're in the game, right? Like my right. English teacher misses. Well, mean, uh, you know, I God, you know,
0: it, it, I probably want. One story, I might have one story with each of several people I've collaborated with, you know, as, as part of it. One with Larry, one with you, one with Charles Johnson, you know,
1: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know,
0: like and do it, do it like that. And then all the others just be my solo stuff.
1: Yes, you know, I just, think that would be great. And yeah. and most publishers will want you to write a couple new ones, too, which is the fun you part. Know, I've really. got some stuff that hasn't been published. Great. Perfect. Yeah, I would love I to think what I'm going to
0: post a thing. I'm going to post a note on Facebook.
1: Say yes. so I'm looking for a publisher
0: for a short story collection.
1: Yes, this is yeah. see, and, that's and, what I'm and talking see,
0: about. And see who, see who who's has something to say. That works for me. That works for me.
1: This is fun. See, everybody, even after all these years, we're still inspiring each other. Like, like I'll give an example of inspiration the other way. You know, part of this project Steve is alluding to means coming up with several short ideas, almost flash fiction which is, you know, coming up with a lot of ideas has never been my strong suit. It's like, I I tend to like get an idea and really sit with it and massage it and and get, feel really precious about it. And after all the years of working with this man as a collaborator, because Steve's method, when we had to do like a new pitch or something, would be to come up with a hundred (laughs) ideas and then pick the best 10. It's like, oh my God, this man is a machine. And I think I picked up a few Hints from you, honey, about being less precious, letting myself yeah, just, just not, being, not being
0: afraid. It's just an idea. You know, it's like I, the worst worst case scenario is it's typing practice.
1: John jotted down 10 ideas in about not even 10 minutes. Just I sat there while we were all watching TV. My stepdaughter, Nikki, was there. And I, because, you know, I had just made an expense. And I wanted to it's like, OK, well, we're going to do this project. Let me come up with some ideas. And boom, I did it. There and you and I you go. is. I'm even, not going to do
0: my ideas until the check, until the money clears the bank. I and understand. When the money clears the bank, then I'll know it's serious, and I'll say, "Oh, okay."
1: But, and, but the uh, point is that I learned from you. I learned from yeah. your like, like more free flowing, less precious. Let me just throw out a bunch Look, of ideas. Everybody goes crazy every night.
0: Every night we come up, we dream, and we come up with ideas. But we edit that stuff. And if the idea isn't perfect, if we're not sure we can write it, if we're not sure it will forward our legacy and so forth, it doesn't go in there. So you take one idea that seems like, you know, it can work and you, you work it around. But in the process of doing that, you're not noticing the dozens of ideas, you know, every few minutes you're coming up with and throwing away. So it's simply a matter of capturing those. And I see people having that problem all the time. As far as I can determine, everybody's creative, but some people edit themselves to death.
1: Yes, and I think I've been guilty of that. I think I, I have tended to be too precious. And so, so yeah. You've published I, I a lot, honey. You've published a lot. You know,
0: so it, it's it just think that you could be, you could have that pore more open. But you've, mm-hmm. it's never been closed. You know, I've seen you more stop yourself because there was emotional pain connected to it, a project. Right, like I've seen you do that a lot.
1: You <laughs> know, six, we, we have years. some things
0: that, that are, that instances where emotional pain will create situations where you don't even want to think about a project, you know, right. we, we, we've seen that happen.
1: That's true. Uh, that but, is true.
0: Yeah, it is. True. I'm
1: over it. And I'm so excited that I had to take all the pain of writing a reformatory so that the readers can just have hopefully the pleasure That's, of reading oh. it. I took all the punches, you know, I mine is fiction and it's a ghost story. I'm the one who had to slog through all the real history. <laughs> <laughs> that was so depressing it makes me sad but um, ghost stories are 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 different it's 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 trauma through the looking glass on the other side and so in fact i mentioned the reformatory in that story last stop on route 9 you know no, you did. Um, it's part of the shared universe i've created in grace, Town. grace Town, which has appeared in my previous collection. We have done development on projects related to Gracetown. The reformatory is set in Gracetown. So a reviewer called it my Castle Rock or Dairy, which I will take as a high compliment. But I have to admit that when I first came up with the Gracetown conflict concept, I was thinking back to Northwestern and William Faulkner's Yoknapatawpha County, which was his fictitious county. So and the differences in my magical things happen. And some of those magical things are not fun. In fact, if I'm really honest, none of the magical things have been fun in the stories I write. I'm sure there are times that people are using the magic for good things and they're 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 chilling with it, but, but those are just not the stories that appeal to me. Maybe one day I'll write a good magic story out of Grace Town. That might be fun. Why not? Yeah, so so Steve is absolutely right though. One of the things that I've noticed now that we're starting to do more events outside of the house, now that I've started teaching again a new quarter at UCLA, I'm being very, very careful with my energy. I was pretty trashed in the day between my two book appearances, and I'm so grateful that I have the routines that Steve has been helping me embrace everything now I told you, yoga. you in no
0: uncertain terms, if you want Hollywood, if you want to go in there and work in a couple of rooms, so forth so on, I will back your play. If you are training as if you were training for a 10K, right. you have to be training as if this is serious. You're going you're gonna to prepare your body. You're going to prepare your mind. You're going to be doing chi- going exercises and Tai Chi as well as doing, you know, kettlebells and yoga. If your body is strong enough to do it, your mind will be just fine. But if it's not, you're going to burn out, and we have seen that in Hollywood. Oh my gosh, yes. so many times people yes. kill themselves trying to climb that mountain. So no, no I don't absolutely. Want that. But I, I want you to have your dream. I want you to have the things that you really want to complete yourself in life. But in my estimation, what it's going to take for that is blazing, blistering energy. You wouldn't want the energy of somebody, you know. Don't say how
1: much younger. Just say the the age of the person. Yeah, let's say thirty
0: year old. (laughs) Thirty year old.
1: Right. The energy of a thirty year old. That works for me. That works for me. And and I'm really really grateful. I mean, I've been doing yoga for a while now. I'm starting to do it more often. I used to just do it once a week. I'm inching toward more like one and a half, maybe two times a week, inching toward that. But the the tai chi practice is completely new, and I'm still a beginner. It was kind of cute. My son was was imitating my my bad Tai Chi, but watching him sort of comically exaggerate <laughs> what he saw was so interesting because he's adapted to it so well and his movement is so graceful and so beautiful. Yes, it is. So even though it's kind of like mm, I'm gritting my teeth that he's making fun of me, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, he's exaggerating, but I see the point. I'm too stiff when I'm doing that but also just watching him bloom and just be magnificent while he does it has been a great treat. Well, there are two things
0: you have to be able to focus and you have to be able to flow. Yes. And whereas there are you know, the, the fire dance routine can work when you're walking or rebounding or doing any number of other things. I chose Tai Chi because you can do it. I've done it in a, in a, in a airplane bathroom, you know, but you can um, do it in a small space And you can do it with small movements or you can do it with large movements and there is this combination of complexity and flow that is nice where there are all these things you have to remember but ideally you get longer and longer periods where you're just flowing through it and that's exactly like writing a story that's exactly like work using a stick ship driving on the freeway that you have all these different things to think about But what you're trying to do is move it to the level of unconscious competence so it becomes a physical metaphor for a complex psychological and emotional state that can lead to serious excellence. So that's the the fire dance program, you know, is the core of our teaching. My, our attitude is writers need to take care of their bodies. Athletes need to take care of their minds. Both need to take care of their hearts. So it's, you know, the mind and the body meet at the heart in that in that sense. So we're into that whole body success thing. We want your relationships, we want your careers, and your finances, and we want your physical health. I you know, I absolutely insist on that with my wife because I don't want her burning herself out with my son because I want him to have access to everything he is in a highly competitive world. And for myself because I'm asking myself to function as if I was, frankly, a lot younger than I actually am. You know, it's that idea. Right. What do I need to function like a 30-year-old?
1: Instead of a 40-year-old, like you are. Exactly. That's right. That's exactly right. It's exactly you, right. You, you
0: robbed the cradle, honey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute,
1: now. You robbed the cradle. Oh, uh, okay. Somebody robbed something.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the that program and our ability to start with that, that knot of awareness, tying together the body, the mind, and the emotions... And then we meet on Saturdays and discuss what comes out of that. You know, if you've got that knot on top of that, you add that one sentence a day if you want to be a writer, you know, and then you build towards, you know, what do you need to do every day to get your career going? And we can do that, but you, the energy and the commitment and the discipline are already being worked on every single day.
1: And you know, if you'll go to FireDanceTaiChi.com and join the program, and then Fire and, Dance is F I R E D A N C E, just like it sounds. Fire Dance right. Tai Chi. Tai
0: T A I C yes. H I. And then you come to our meetings on Saturday and ask anything you want. About how to move your life, your career forward, and we will workshop it right there. And then we yes. have the social media group on Facebook, and you know you can ask questions on the on the platform for delivery, Kajabi, and you know you can email us or personal message us. We're, this is the way we can contact our community. We're about to get very very busy this year, but we yes. will continue keeping this pore open so that those of you who are serious. Who really do want this, who really do want to move your lives forward this way, can get in touch with us and be part of a community of people who will support you and not think that you're crazy for, for dreaming so large. So that's so Saturday. Dance. So that's www.FiredanceTaiChi.com.
1: Great. Check that out. And of course, join our list. The lists are free: Tenanoev list and Stephen Barnes com. And that you actually can contact us once you're on the list. I get That's emails right. from people on the list all the time. Every uh, day. And I also want to really thank my blurbers for The Wishing Pool. You know, when you have a book coming out, you, you send it to people and hope that they'll have the time to read it and give you a quote. And I have two people I've never approached before and who came through so beautifully. One is Joe Hale, the author of The Black Firm, and, you know, doing all kinds of great things. He said the stories are absolute gold. And LeVar Burton who read the titular story, The Wishing Pool, on LeVar Burton Reads. So I said, hey, LeVar, would you read the rest of the book? And here's what he said. I make no secret of the fact that I'm both a lover of short fiction as well as a huge Tananarive Du fan. Her writing never fails to remind me that some of the most deliciously twisted imaginations in literature are possessed by some of the sweetest humans on the planet. Aw, LeVar Burton. I got him fooled. (laughs) 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 No, just kidding. I am sweet. Anyway, thank you, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. Go and make yourself the hero or or heroine of your own story. The hero
0: in the adventure of your lifetime.
1: Bye-bye, everybody. (laughs) Woo! Bye.
0: You've been listening to The Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to LifeWritingPremium.com and get ready to write for
1: your life.